Welcome to season four of the 43% Carry Strong. I'm Claudia Reuter. This show forgets about the lean in or lean out debate and talks to women about their path to creating a life that includes both family and career. Our name is a nod to the fact that 43% of women leave the traditional workforce when they have children. We all have our takes on why and what might be done to better support mothers who are grappling with work inside and outside of the home. But on this show, we set out to explore a wide range of experiences and ideas with a goal of simply shedding more light on what's possible. This season, we're digging in more deeply into the specific challenges and opportunities that come to the surface at the beginning of the motherhood journey. And we've partnered with Carrie Strong, a new project and book from Stephanie Kramer designed to rethink pregnancy and work. One out of two women in, a, in a, one of the studies I did for the book said that trying to conceive, so not pregnancy, but trying to conceive had an impact on work. One out of two. That was today's guest and this season's co-host, Stephanie Kramer. Stephanie is the author of Carrie Strong, Rethinking Pregnancy and Work. She's also an adjunct professor at the Fashion Institute of Technology, the Chief Human Resources Officer for L'Oreal, a position into which she was appointed after we recorded this episode, and a mom to two young boys. Hey, Stephanie. I'm so excited to connect with you today um, because, as you know, we're, we're about to start something exciting together, a new mini season here on the 43%. But before we get into any of that, I know listeners are going to be really eager to learn more about you. So before we jump into a whole bunch of things, you know, um, first of all, like if someone were to look at your resume or LinkedIn, um, I think they'd be blown away by the number of things you've accomplished as a GM, as an author, or mom, professor. And this isn't even a summary of your pre- previous accomplishments. This is your current reality. Um, and so for before we even kick off, can you not only like introduce yourself, but really, you know, try to answer the question, like, how would you answer the question, who are you? So, I mean, I love this question because it really forces us to all uh, examine who we are day to day. I think depending on the moment, I'd answer the question differently. So you know, during the day, um, I am a general manager at L'Oreal. I work for a beauty brand and I love skincare. I'm a super science nerd. I'm a mom of two small boys. I also teach at FIT, the Fashion Institute in New York City. I teach the communications course for the master's program. And it's, it's super special to me. Um, I love to run. I'm, I'm a wife. I'm a sister. I'm a daughter. All of those things and the labels that we define for ourselves. But, you know, throughout the book process, I've really completely changed how I answer this question. <laughs> and I, I used to rattle off those titles and really was energized by that. And I still am energized by it, but also totally exhausted by it. And I had the feeling I was always kind of letting one of those labels down. But now I've, I've really changed my perspective. And while I'm all those things, I'm super driven by, by my purpose, which is really about helping brands, people, teams, and also my kids and myself reach their full potential. And the, you know, the women that I think will read my book um, to reach their own potential, not, not anything else, but just really the best of their version of themselves. That's awesome. So I love that, especially at this stage of your career and your life, you already are thinking in that big picture about your purpose and helping other people with potential. Taking like a, a step back, okay, what does a day look like for you right now? Like you are juggling and managing more things than I think 
I personally can even imagine sometimes and would love to just hear like, what does your day look like? So, you know, while I would love to tell you that I'm like living my potential and helping others live their potential in, in my every day, it's really, it's, it's a, it's a lot like Jenga. It's my calendar looks kind of insane. I do color code it so that I have things to look forward to or blocks, or I know when I need to, where I need to be when, um, but it's tricky. And I'm, I feel like I'm very split. Like we all are between my in-person life, my virtual life, my mom. I also now live outside of a city, but I also am in the city. And I joke that I have these three shifts because I have like, it's kind of like four shifts, like an early kind of mostly mom focused shift. Then I have my super work shift. Then I kind of have the mom dinner regroup. And then I have my late shift and I'm doing emails or working on the book. But um, I, I used to think of myself as having, you know, you have one cup of water and you have you have all of these little vessels and you're trying to give each one enough. You know, you're trying to water the plants that are in each one of those little cups. But instead, now I really, really picture all of them having a different amount in different days. And you pour them into this big vessel, which is the purpose or yourself or your potential, and it overflows. Because every one of these things really does drive me in a different way. And I I feel so much more at peace by kind of being more fluid in the way that I define I don't know, who am I, I guess, um, than even trying to live up to all those labels. It's It sounds like very ethereal, but but honestly, it has totally changed my perspective so that I'm really not letting anything down. I'm really just having more opportunities to, to reach that purpose through different things throughout my Jenga crazy schedule day. Your, 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 uh, schedules Jenga. My, my cabinets are Jenga. Right. right. <laughs> Watch out when you open them. Exactly. <laughs> Surprise. So, okay. So, so a lot of people, you know, I think one of the reasons folks have been interested in this show and, and some of the, the messages that have been on here is because sometimes we're kind of brought up with this like idea of like this perfect linear career path. You yes. go to the school and then there's these five steps you take. And before you know it, you're, you're on this ladder. And so, but I, I think we all know that that's never exactly how things work out or it, things are a little messier than that, or sometimes it's just not that linear. Can you take a step back and walk us through your career trajectory, like personal and professional? Like, how did you get where you are? And like, does it align with what you always hoped or knew you'd be someday? Totally. So it's interesting because I think some of those those moves you're talking about, lateral moves or surprising ones that maybe don't make sense in kind of this grand scheme of the ladder, um, where I think some of the things that that ultimately have helped my career, I would say, accelerate even because of those that foundation you have. But one of the things for me that's really funny, I always start with this, and I have used this example before when speaking to, to listeners, um, is that I have this picture of me when I was in middle school wearing an Old Navy sweater. It was very cool at the time. It was like super cool, new Old Navy. And um, But it, my black and gold uh, little rubber bands on my braces were matching it. It was just a horrible decision. Oh, very I don't know nice. why. But like black and gold was like, you know, I, I'm from outside of Pittsburgh. So black and gold for the Steelers and for my high school and all these things, but really not the colors you want to put on your teeth. Um, <laughs> but I'm picture me in all my glory with my frizzy hair standing in front of a triptych board. So for those of you who are old enough to remember, this is like a big poster board that stands up by itself for your science fair projects. And on the top of it says skin science. And I'm standing there with little strips of chamois from where my um, where my dad had used to dry off the car. And I have like dial and I have all these other bubble bath, Mr. Bubbles bubble bath on the triptych and I'm explaining it. And it's really funny because 
it's very similar to to who I am today, <laughs> uh, but with lots of pride. Um, and then I fast forward, you know, to college, and I was I was while well, I was a chemistry major undergrad, and I was the American Chemical Society president for for Wake Forest. But I was wearing my sorority jersey in the picture, so it's like that duality that was still existing. And then I, I had, um, I was very fortunate to have an international kind of portion of my career was traveling, working for a chemical company. But what I realized where I got all my energy was really from the people I was with and then the food they were eating and the holidays they were celebrating and meeting with the people. So it's this kind of intersection again of the science and the people and closer to consumer. So from a career perspective, it really also is who I am, you know, and it's funny because it's it's always been something that I've been interested and curious in what I have. Um, from a personal perspective, it really lines up also to, I think, some more deliberate choices that I've made about my family or the, the career that I have now. And one thing I always share with people is that, and a mentor helped me see it this way, is to make moves and to evolve your career instead of thinking about it of what's next, what's next, what's next, and and one mentor told me, you don't you don't try to fill up a column and then you jump to the next column and you fill up the next column and then you jump. You you want to walk across, you know, you want to kind of fill those things into the point where you are going to be superseding what your job's doing or or add other facets that are not necessarily part of that exact role in order to make that move. Um, but you have to do that also of what do I need to learn? Where do I get my energy? Like, where do I get really happy and really excited and really engaged? And what do I need for my life right now? And that changed. So before it was saying yes to everything and the international career or, you know, the duality of, of the uh, chemical chemical president <laughs> mixed with a sorority girl. But then there did come a point where it was also like, I want to be a mom and I want to have a family and um, I want to have a partner and I want to be have the stability and it's different and it changed how it is. But that's okay. That third column is okay to have, what do I need for my life right now? And by the way, that also can be financial or that also can be flexibility. There's a lot of things that fit into that column. And I think I really encourage people to think about their career that way too. Oh, I love that. And it sounds like you got that that initial advice from someone else. And, you know, one of the, one of the things I've talked to people about on the show are like the unique challenges that female leaders in particular often face. Um, and just hearing you now, like I know coming from you that you're an awesome mentor and advocate of other advocate of other women, myself included. It sounds like you've had some mentors along your journey as well. Like, so how do you think about mentoring and leading others at this moment, especially in this virtual moment, you know, um, just curious. Totally. Um, well, I think it's critical, first of all. I would not be anywhere, kind of, I guess, where I am without mentors and without mentees. So the combination of the two is incredibly reciprocal, beneficial relationship. And I think that's a really important part that I encourage people to take away that, you know, yes, you need an amazing mentor and an advocate. And it's, by the way, those two things are different. It's also different just to have someone that you admire and that you want to have a coffee with. Those are very different roles, but also to be a mentee and to have that benefit um, or someone that I'm mentoring is incredible. I always, you know, want to thank people when I do that for the opportunity of their time, but not in the traditional way where, you know, when you write a thank you note for a job interview, but really for the, the opportunity to be open with them, for their trust, for their focus. Mm. And to your point about the virtual world, when you have these mentor conversations, it's it's made it easier to schedule, I think. You know, you're not trying to get the in-person time with them. If it moves, it moves on your virtual calendar. You can do them digitally. You can have mentors around the country, around the world. 
but you have to give focus in that time, both as the mentor and the mentee, and make it valuable for both of you, um, and just with so much appreciation. And that's you—you you pay that forward. I think that time is is um, is not just something I, to use the cup example again that you're pouring out to give to others as a gift. It's a mutually beneficial time that you both are committing to that relationship as a mentor and a mentee. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, even sometimes as you think, like, you know, even as you're mentoring others, sometimes you, I, I know I do anyway, I, I still learn from everyone that I'm talking to. Um, you know, what are, what are some of the things, you know, some steps that you take as you're, you know, you're leading and mentoring others, but you also, as we talked about, are juggling a lot of different things. You, I mean, you have like a lot of people, like my friends used to call these types of things, like your big kid job, like you're, you have the very real pressures of working at a global organization. You're a mom. You're taking time to think about your community and and helping others. Uh, how are you doing this? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think so. With with the mentees, especially, I'm very open about my real life. So you know, just like I said in the beginning, I try to share why I'm being super organized or why I might be distracted or on the positive, why I care so much about something that I'm really focused on that they might not be. So I say, this is really important. And here's why, you know, why it matters to me, why it matters to you, why it matters in the bigger picture for work or for society, whatever. Um, And I think as leaders, it's important we share who we are and we're vulnerable and humble, but also the why of what drives us. So I try Mm. to try to show both sides of that, you know, not just the I had a horrible day and I have a sick kid, which is important. And we have to continue to do that. And I think we've all been doing that more and more, but also the, this is why I'm here. And this is why I care about this. And this is why I want this for my child or for my job or whatever too. Oh, I love, I love that so much. Cause I think sometimes it's so easy to get caught up in, well, now I'm at work and I'm working because I, you know, I, it's important, but really getting to that. Why, you know, cause the thing is, is like, and there are aspects of jobs that when you're in the right job, you love it, right? Like there's, yes. there's the why there that's motivating. It's not just a job. It's actually like this opportunity to, to do some really cool things. Um, and so speaking of which, you know, when I started this show, I did so because, again, there's this idea of sort of the, the hidden aspects of motherhood. And the, the reality is, we know, 85% of women become moms at some point. It's not usually really talked about over the course of a career in a way that's necessarily helpful in the moment. And I really wanted to show the wealth of possibilities that are really open to women and women who, just, who are mothers and, and continue working outside of the, you know, the caregiving responsibilities. And, you know, you've written a book on the topic, you're, you're, you're in the throes of it right now, you know, you're, you're actually leading in a global organization while you're with really young kids still. Um, What's, what's been easy, what's been challenging, what, you know, what, what are, what are you able to share about, like, all these things going on, and, and how you've managed to navigate it? Totally. Well, first of all, no, I love how you frame the question of the wealth of possibilities. And it's it's always framed as that it's so hard. And yes, like motherhood is hard. Working full-time is hard with that. But it's not impossible and it's not going away. And there are also some really great things that come from being a working mother. I also think right now, for the first time, I, I see it visibly. And maybe it's also because I'm obsessed because I'm writing the book. But I think it's the reality the pandemic has shed on caregiving and on shared responsibilities of that and on the burden that has been on on mothers particularly. And I think that we have an opportunity right now to flip the script on a cultural constant. That's what I talk about in the book. Um, but personally for me, 
you know, as, as a working mom, I have never had this type of perspective, efficiency, empathy. You know, I went to grad school full-time while I was working full-time too. That was a lot of efficiency. That was a lot of organization. It was a lot of late nights, but this is, this is a whole next level because it's also at the end of the day, you know, if you're, if your child's sick or they need you, they do jump to the top of that list um, almost every single time. And I've never, frankly, been able to see my priorities so clearly, personally, or professionally. I think it, it made me more focused. And it's being a good mom and a good employee for me are complementary, even though sometimes from a time perspective, they're not. Uh, it, it really has changed the way I think about it. And I think it's so important that women, especially women who are pre, you know, in the, I call it in the book, the BTTC, but before you even are thinking about it, don't just anticipate it as a burden. It is an important responsibility but it's not a burn. It can be concurrent to your career. It doesn't have to be, but it can be. I I love that perspective. And, you know, I think to your point too, no matter how well things are scheduled, the reality is if someone's sick or if someone comes in the room and there's a, there's a crisis, you can't just be like, I'm going to put that thing in a bucket somewhere. Like that's your kid. You have to respond. It's a, it's, you know, it's, it becomes top of mind. So yeah, I think you shared a story with me earlier, I think would be great for you to tell again about, <laughs> about um, you know, a recent experience you had with one of your kids and, and where these kind of funny, but challenging, but, you know, ultimately like memorable moments start to come together. Yes. So, um, so while I'm pretty good, if I have a very, let's say an important thing, or actually right now I have like post-it notes all over the door that say, do not open the door right now. And I've made sure that they're like, my husband knows that there's not to be the door open and you set up those structures. Well, I did not do this recently this week. Um, I was in a very focused, important call with someone that I was trying to show how on top of it I was, even though I have a relatively new job and there's a lot going on, but I really wanted to, as I said, like I give focus and time and attention in those moments because there's not so much time of it. So I don't, I don't like to waste um, other people's time or my own. And I'm sitting at my desk and I'm staring ahead. And all of a sudden I see my older son, William, who is seven, come into the room wearing his invisibility cloak. Now, one of the greatest things of my entire year um, last year was the fact that despite all the other cool stuff going on and despite the bad stuff that we continue to face, ambiguity and global pandemic and the stress that comes with it, I've been spending more and more time with my son at night reading to him. And we personally, I read, you know, a couple of paragraphs and he reads a couple of paragraphs of Harry Potter. And like happens to all of us, I think, William, um, we had talked about consistently what he wanted for Christmas over and over again. And of course, you know, on the 23rd, he had this new thing that he wanted, which of course is incredibly hard to procure, which was an invisibility cloak from Harry Potter, which then I had to ask (laughs) my unbelievable mother to go to a fabric store that was open on Christmas Eve and create the invisibility cloak. Anyway, so, so back to, I'm in front of the computer and I see the silver bobblehead coming into my room. But what do I do? I am on the screen. I did not blur the background, which is now lesson learned. And I just see floating William, but I'm not allowed to recognize it because he's invisible. And I can't, the person on the screen doesn't understand why I'm not recognizing that my kid is in the room. <laughs> but like, I have gosh, to tell them. incredibly focused. <laughs> right. And like, it's okay. You can say hi to him. And instead in the chat, I'm like, you don't see him. Like you don't see him because I couldn't, I didn't want to ruin it for, for that. But on the other hand, I'm trying to keep myself together. So it was a very funny way of saying the confluence of trying to be a great mom, keep that magic going, keep that focus going. But at the end of the day, I was like, 
but I don't even see him. What am I supposed to do? (laughs) And eventually I just waited for like his elbow to poke out. And I was like, what is that floating elbow? I hear William in here somewhere, but you know, but I couldn't do it until that happened. And of course the person on the other side of the screen, I think eventually picked up what was happening, but Oh my goodness. I I love everything about that. And it's like the moments you, I mean, these are the the perfect storms of, you know, the remote office combined with, you know, being a parent and all this, the things that happen. And, and it's also that, you know, to your point, like keeping the magic alive for them in a world that's become so like, now we're in our Zoom meeting, <laughs> you know? Um, exactly. I, I remember when my kids were like little, like we, we, we didn't do great with the tooth fairy for that long when they were really little. But at one point, like, we, you know, we forgot the tooth fairy. And then I like wrote this poster note that was like, hey, I'm the tooth fairy and I tried to come to your house, but your cat wouldn't let me in. And so, like, you know, it's like, yeah, just the things you do to like keep it, keep the magic going. So I love That's it. That's so funny. Actually, last night, William lost a tooth. And then this morning we had that exact moment, literally this morning. And so I, we had one of these like um, dollar coins and so I went in, I said, it's so weird. Where did she come? And I was like, are you sure you looked everywhere? And like sleight of hand under the pillow. Nice, nice. <laughs> but it's true. You don't want to mess that stuff up because it's fleeting and it's so important. And that perspective comes too, right? I think with your, your career is very long. And one of the best pieces of advice I got when I was actually trying to get pregnant, it's something I talk about in the book and it's a very dear friend of mine. I said, yeah, but I want to do this and this and this and this before I try to get pregnant. And she was like, why? And I was like, well, because I have so much I want to achieve and I've worked so hard. And I, and she was like, Stephanie, you have 40 years of your career left. How many more steps can you really go? But how many years do you really have for your, to have a family? And all of a sudden I went home and I was like, wow. All right. Like that's true. And it completely changed for me, the timing of it and thinking, and and by the way, it took much longer than I expected. So I'm quite happy for her. Can I ask how long, how long did it take? So, well, for me, you know, my, I had been um, with my husband for five years before we got engaged, which I'm not upset about at all (laughs) still, but then we got married and the first year on our anniversary, my husband did um, a New York City Ironman race and actually ended up being intubated in hospital in New York City and was very, very, very ill. And so that actually resulted in us having to delay what we thought would be right away trying to get pregnant kind of that year after being married. Then after that, it took us another year to get pregnant just because of whatever, irregular cycles, age, I don't know, all those things, probably stress of having the pressure on it that we had waited and that was another year and another year. Well, and you and didn't then, just wait for, for casually. It sounds like you had like a, a medical crisis. No, we weren't, weren't, too, a, we yeah. weren't a, allowed. And, and then of course, too, you know, I thought it was something that I could just say, okay, now we'll do this. And then I, then I got pregnant, which was great. Um, but then I actually suffered a, a late first trimester miscarriage and that my world came crashing down and it was horrible. Um, and it's, you know, it's incredibly motivating for me with the book because all of those things was an intersection of, of that something I, I never knew how much I wanted it until you don't have it, I think. Mm. But also that it's like shifts that perspective to be like, oh, wow, okay, um, this, is, this is really important to me. Well, and I, I thank you for sharing that. Cause I think that's, yeah. that's the other thing too, that I think people don't really talk about is even the journey to get pregnant is so obviously it's so personal. And when it's not going exactly the way you plan it, it, it can take a long time. And that's, 
that, that, you know, it's not, you're still going to work during that. And it's not something you're sharing yes. with people at work. And it's almost like, you know, you're pregnant, but nobody knows. And then you, mm-hmm. you're not pregnant and nobody knows. And just, um, yeah, that's not, it's not easy. I mean, one out of two women in, a, in a, one of the studies I did for the book said that trying to conceive, so not pregnancy, but trying to conceive had an impact on work. Mm. One out of two. And if more than half of our workforce is women, and you know, there's a very high percentage of those women, depending on the industry, um, that will then become mothers, that's a pretty big percentage of your workforce that's carrying that burden that we have never talked about. And it, it kind of made me nuts in a good way. Like, that's why we have to talk about it with with everyone. We don't just talk about it with the people that have their vis- visible bellies about the impact of pregnancy. We need to be talking about it with everybody because you're still feeling that pressure um, when you're trying to conceive, when you're sec- secretly pregnant, or you know, the, the road can be, you can be five years, I say, I say the example of you could be pregnant for five years at work without anyone knowing. And that's a very real story that um, is part of the book. And it it's uh, it's really important that we respect what could be going on with people personally. And by the way, not even pregnancy. There's a lot of other stuff that can be going on with people that we don't, we don't talk about. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm so, I'm so grateful that you're, you know, you're bringing all of this to the surface and bringing this up. Cause I think on this show we've, you know, I've tried to highlight stories of people almost who are on the other side, right. Who mm-hmm. are, have kind of been through the journey and they can share perspective, but we have this moment to really talk about the people who are in it, you know, who are, who are just at the very beginning and, and the stresses and, and the joy and the sadness and all the things that come, you know, at that phase, you know, like when, um, I, I left, I think I've told you this obviously, and I've talked about this on the podcast. Like I actually left the workforce for a few years to focus on full-time caregiving for a lot of reasons. Um, when I would, when I had my first son, who's now, I mean, this, I'm on the other side, he's a freshman in college. Right. Um, but I remember when I, when I knew it was like time to figure out a a pathway back in, I remember being so, so worried about the gap in my resume that I'd be penalized for it. Um, and so, you know, in the position you're in and thinking about all the nuances of your, your own journey, when you're hiring, how do you, how do you think about resume gaps? You know, what, what advice do you have for other women who are mothers who are either coming up the ladder or trying to get back on the ladder? Like, how do you, how do you help them navigate that? Or what advice do you have? Well, I think, you know, there's, there's two pieces to it. It's one about the guilt. And one thing that I know you and I've talked about is that we have to take that part off. Um, you're, you're doing something great, no matter why you're doing it, you're making a decision for you and your family right now based off your priorities. So you don't need to have this guilt. Who are you disappointing? You're actually, you know, while you may have ambitions that you're changing or shifting, it also is something that you're doing and it's a very positive momentum. And the second part is that you're not alone in this fear. And frankly, for me, I think that's something that I always try to encourage women, like there could be a shift in your career and you could be thinking about it differently for a lot of different reasons, Mm -hmm. um, as well as that gap. And how, how are you going to approach it? So so one way is if it's a short gap on your resume, I don't think people are going to really notice, to be totally honest. It's more likely you notice, and this feels like a huge thing to you than, than um, otherwise. This could even just be your family moves and you decide that, you know, you need to get the house set up or, or frankly, you just have to find the right job or you want to make a shift. And so you're going to give yourself a little space. And ultimately, the only reason why someone might even know is if you say, I'm available right now. And they're like, wow, oh, that's right, because you're not working. <laughs> like the, it's, it's actually more likely true. Uh, but secondly, even in a short gap or a very long one, 
what are the things you've been doing besides caregiving? Or I would say incremental to caregiving. So, you know, have you discovered that with your children, you're really into some other dimension of your life? Um, mm. What's interested in you? What interests do you have now that's different? Can you take an online course or can you do some consulting work? What could you do in some of those margins or as your children, you know, go to school or um, have some other caregiver involvement? Then what could you do like like volunteering in something that could be adjacent to a future role and translate that gap into a career shift? So while, yes, you can I can encourage you, you can get right back in to something you were doing before. What other things could you do that you could also ease it into where you want to go? Yeah, that's awesome. And I think I think people too now, especially with COVID, I think people are going to look less and less at different gaps because, mm-hmm. you know, great resignation is here and alive. And mm-hmm. I think people are going to, my, my gut is that people are going to be more open to, to nonlinear journeys anyway. Um, but that I love the idea of just thinking, like reframing the work you're already doing and, and what's, what's possible for you. One of the things I was talking to my sister about actually recently is I think I was like stressed about something and like, Oh my gosh, what am I going to do next? And how do I align something up? And I, I don't know. It was, I was like perseverating on something and she was like, Hey, listen, her, her husband um, is the youngest in a, in a large family that actually came to the U S as refugees from Vietnam during the seventies. And she was like, his parents were 46, 47 years old with a huge family of real house, all the things that they had worked for over there. And they had to leave in the middle of the night, leaving everything, pictures on the wall and everything. So no one would know they were going kind of like sound of music, you know, and they came to the U.S. and started a new life and started from scratch really and ended up having like three grocery stores and a successful, you know, family business and everybody's doing fine. And she's like, they started from zero at 46. She's like, don't worry about a gap (laughs) of a few months or a year or whatever it is. I'm like, okay, that's good. Good perspective. So it's tough. And I think, you know, with that too, there's, it's the responsibility. So it's part of, you know, when people are to have this question, they also often go to the the gap and your career ambitions being put on hold or that you need to be there for your children. And by the way, maybe your children have specific needs that you Mm. need to be more present. And that's not a decision you're making ultimately, even for you, you're making for them as, as taking care of it or financially. And that's a big piece of it too. It's a huge burden in terms of how are you going to make it work? So some people that gap also represents um, you know, an implied financial burden as well. And I really think we need to think about better systems to support different structures for working. So temporary, part-time, flex um, pieces that we can use differently to in order to support a culture that allows us to have that that evolution in career, not just this constant kind of chipping away at a, a consistency. Oh, yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, if you've got, in addition to all the things that go into raising kids, like if you happen to be in a position where someone has special needs and they need additional care after or before school, like the systems that are there are just not, they're not set up for that. So it almost becomes like somebody's got to, something's got to give, right? right. Um so, you know, here, 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 back to you, like, here you are, like, doing all these things, the book, the professor, you know, you, when you think about that younger, you were talking earlier about your younger self with your cool braces. And your, so cool. Your, I love it. But, you know, when you, if you go back to yourself, when you were maybe first coming out of college, and just about to enter the, the professional workforce, 
what if you could sit down with her like and say, hey, before you get started, I want to sit down and talk to you, younger Stephanie, for a minute. What mm-hmm. what would you tell her or what do you wish you had known at that point? I mean, while I while I wish in a tangible way I could tell her, you know, worry less and about what other people think and, you know, that it's okay that you're a nerd. Um, I really, you know, in that time, I also was quite free and would say yes to a lot of things. I think that I had that, I had that gift um, of doing it. And I think that, frankly, that's one of the reasons why I feel like I am where I am because mm-hmm. I was able to fail. Like I was also very resilient at a very young age in order to do that. You know, yes, certainly was um, privileged in opportunity and experience in education, but I also really feel like I, um, everything has made me who I am. And my drive comes from the ability to be now more comfortable in ambiguity because I had so much drive at a young age, but all of that work got to a point. And it's the, the one thing I would say is just continue to be kind to people and take them along with you. Mm. And I did that. I think always I have my, we were talking about mentors earlier and mentees earlier. I have people that have been my mentor for 20 years, you know, and I'm not super old, or, you know, who have been my mentees throughout their career in different pieces of it. And I think that that effort sometimes um, in connecting with people has really made me who I am. And I don't think that I would have come across all of them if I would have um, been able to change that trajectory from the beginning. But that being kind and that having that humility, maybe because of the being the nerd or trying to work so hard to overcompensate in some way, shape or form, um, really allowed me to create a community that appreciates me and that I certainly appreciate in them. Oh my gosh. I love that. And, you know, I've, I've been, I feel pretty privileged to have gotten to know you over the last few months and, and can attest to your kindness. And, you know, I, um, I saw a quote recently that said, you know, kindness is a superpower. And I, I think I'd put you in the bucket of people who are pretty powerful Thanks. as a result of that. So thank you for making time today to share your story on the 43%. And I'm really excited for our next conversation where we'll get into the 43% and carry strong. That's right. Thank you, Claudia. Thank you everyone for listening. That was it for today's episode, but we'll be back soon for more on the 43% and carry strong. Thanks for listening.